1: Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, January 6th, 2011. This week, episode 230 comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKee's Rocks. We're back after the holiday. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Back with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotney.
0: So I'm back, but I think I weigh three pounds more than I did last time I was here.
1: Of course, at the controls is our newest team member and engineer, show engineer, Val Bender. Today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question, and we've got in the studio Mr. Bill Wigand and Gary Lloydman going to join us for an interview. We're going to talk a little bit of disaster restoration today and what it takes to be a disaster restoration technician employee. And of course, we'll have our halftime and have Dr. Wild join us for the roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors, NetClaimsNow, Claims Now, providing insurance billing for the restoration industry for fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing. Learn more about them at netclaimsnow.com
0: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com
1: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com Clean Facts and Cleaning
0: and Maintenance Management Magazine your source for cleaning and maintenance news, visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
1: All right. You can, of course, download past shows by going to the iaqradio.com website. Just follow the link that says go to the show for downloads. Of course, you can Stream shows live uh, right from our homepage on the website. We also have certification renewal credits for ABIH, IICRC, and the ACAC. Just send me an email at joe.hughes at Training.com. We'll get you the quiz out. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
0: Thanks, Joe. We win a cool prize by out fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to C. Slotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, text in your answer. Two listeners, John Lapotere, Microshield Environmental Services in Winter Springs, Florida, and Annie Krasowski of Comcast Metal Products, Mars BA, correctly identified Alice Hamilton, M.D., as the first American physician to devote her life to the practice of industrial medicine. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, January 6, 2012, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Now for this week's trivia question. Name the person who penned this quotation. Teaching is not a lost art but the regard for it is a lost tradition. Back to you, Joe.
1: All right. Thank you, Cliff. Bill Wagen has been in the cleaning and restoration industry since 1980. Bill joined Unsmoke in 1988 when he was hired as the general manager of its service company. In 1992, he was promoted to the general manager of training and technical support for Unsmoke Systems. Bill has had the opportunity to put his restoration knowledge to work on on on-site disaster restoration projects throughout the North America and the Caribbean. He has also helped to develop many odor control products and techniques which have become industry standards. Bill is an instructor for the Restoration Industry Association's certified restoration course as well as several courses for the IICRC, now the Clean Trust. He has trained several thousand students for the IICRC, and he holds multiple designations with the IICRC and the Indoor Air Quality Association. He's also currently serving as a member of the Board of Directors on the Clean Trust. Gary Loybin is also in the studio with us. He spent 30 years in the cleaning and restoration industry as a business owner, consultant, trainer, and executive. During his tenure, Gary has trained thousands of restoration and cleaning professionals in the principles of fire, odor, and water damage restoration. He also holds several designations and certifications related to restoration, including the Applied Microbial Remediation Technician, Master Restorer, and the Certified Indoor Environmentalist. In addition to his technical background, Gary has helped more than 100 businesses grow from initial startup. He has owned, managed, or consulted with businesses that range from startup to more than $100 in annual sales and he is a graduate of the Dale Carnegie Human Relations and Public Speaking and a past assistant instructor for that prestigious program. He's also a technical training instructor now for the Restoration Sciences Academy and on the board of direction, directors with Connections Events and the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners. So we're going to talk a little bit this week with the guys about disaster restoration What the technician level type people and others within the disaster restoration industry do for a living, what type of business it is, etc. But first, let's welcome Bill and Gary to the show. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon. afternoon. All right, we're going to start it off with the Z-Man talk, taking over the questions Thanks, here.
0: Thanks, Joe. Well, guys, is restoration a male-only profession? I wouldn't say, Cliff, it's
2: a male-only profession. I think it's uh, been predominantly, historically, a, a male profession. But uh, today's world, we're seeing more and more females get into the profession, which I think is a great thing for relationships between you know, companies and, and their, uh, their customers.
0: At what level are they getting in? Are they getting in at ground level, or are they getting in at, you know, owners of management? I would
3: say, Cliff, that you're seeing people get in at both. You're seeing you're seeing a lot of women that are taking the position of, of starting up companies and working with companies. Some people that have worked for other companies that have started their own companies uh, because they saw a, a real uh, benefit and. Uh, being a meticulous industry and a meticulous business that it is, uh, women seem to do very, very well at it. Okay.
1: Bill, maybe you could tell us what, what kind of jobs are available, and if you wouldn't mind adding, you know, obviously we're in a tough time job you know, wise in the uh, economy here. How are things going in the disaster restoration world?
2: Well, Joe, I think there's lots of opportunities for people from everything from being a laborer to a tradesman. A, Cleaner, estimator, supervisor, manager, marketing people, human resource people, as well. And I always ask my students, you know, in class, <clears throat> what uh, if if their company could find the right person at the right price today, could they create an opening even if they didn't have one? And almost um, uniformly, the the people say that they would create an opening. So. I think there's a there's an opportunity for, for good people, for trained people, perhaps, to get into the restoration industry at any time.
0: You know, I think one other thing, Joe, that, that I think we should add is that, you know, in, in, in indoor air quality, it may be a matter of choice whether or not the building owner or manager, you know, fixes a problem that's in the building, you know. In the disaster side of the business, you oftentimes really don't have a choice, you know. If you... If your building suffers uh, apparel, fire, water damage, uh, wind, storm, hail, you really need to to do something. So I think in some ways the the disaster restoration business is less um, affected by the economy than other businesses might be, such as remodeling or new home construction.
1: Maybe you guys could help me with this then is that, Will people that come into this business, will they have full-time work? Because it seems like, you know, you've got people coming in and uh, you've got water damage jobs, fire jobs, et cetera. Are these typically full-time jobs?
3: Typically, they are full-time jobs, Joe. I, I think that you're going to have situations, depending upon the location of the country or the part of North America or around the world that people are from, you know, certain markets are going to be better than other markets at certain times. Uh, a lot has to do with 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 the volume of business and the marketing that's done within an individual company as to as to the needs.
0: Yeah, could you guys comment on the transferability of, of the skills? You know, we're from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and if we learned disaster restoration work here, um, you know, w- would those skills and techniques be applicable in California or in Canada or in Europe or? mid east or whatever? Uh, That's a great
2: question Cliff. Uh, Certainly water is water and fire damage is fire damage but buildings do vary and and weather conditions vary so some of the techniques that we might use in the northern part of uh, North America may be slightly different than South America but the skills are certainly transferable.
0: Are they doing this all, is this strictly an American or North American business or is it more universal? (laughs) No, I, I it's certainly worldwide. Uh, certainly, our, our friends in
2: Europe, uh, England, and in Europe are, uh, in many ways, at least as advanced as we are. Uh, we we have uh, companies in Australia, New Zealand, Japan. So it is a worldwide business.
1: Are there? What are the typical like prerequisites to do this kind of work? I mean, what do you what do you have to be? physically fit, Do you have to have certain education level. Uh, maybe Gary, you could expand on that a little bit. I start. think
3: I, I think being in good physical condition is, uh, is a plus. Uh, I think that there's a lot of labor intense work where where somebody being in good physical condition is important. I think being in, in the environments that, that we sometimes find ourselves in, I think health can be a very important issue. Uh, especially, you know, if somebody's going to be working around air quality, different types of air quality. Uh, somebody has asthma and they, and, and they may be, there are things that they can wear or protect themselves from in working with those environments, but do they want to and do they want to go to that extent to do that? Are those, are those the people that we want? I don't know, maybe, yes, yes, given the right person. But I think the conditions will dictate.
1: What about education level? Can anybody from any background come and join? I think
3: this? anybody from any background can do it. It really depends upon uh, the the type of work within each company. Every company's got different types of employees. Some companies need marketing people. People they need estimators. They need project managers. They need. Uh, people to do the grunt work. they need people to do you know just the labor intense work. but it's but in our business, whether it's fire and smoke or whether it's water damage, I think it's important that the people have some level of of ability to learn and 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 I think that that learning helps them progress to to better positions within every company.
0: I think leadership is important too. I think a lot of times, You know, people, there are natural-born leaders, and uh, then I think certain leadership skills, you know, can be taught. But uh, I think a natural-born leader is always going to be better than someone that, you know, kind of learns it.
2: I would think think desire and and dependability and honesty. Uh, One of the things that we don't think about um, probably enough is we're asking people to, Allow us the opportunity to go into their buildings and have access to everything that they possess, and you know these people already—the the people who have suffered a loss, a fire loss or a water loss—are already in an emotional state. And you know, I would I would ask you know, our listeners how how often would you let somebody that you've just met, maybe met for 10 or 15 minutes, um, allow them access to your home? And, and everything that you have in your home and, and your possessions or even in a business. So I think honesty and dependability and desire are, are
1: three attributes
2: that we really need to
1: look at. It sounds like a a good uh, field for somebody maybe with a military background. Have you seen people actually reaching out and trying to um, you know, hire our veterans?
3: I would say the military people do exceptionally well in our business. Uh, they're very detailed. They're very programmed. Uh, they 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 they're very specific, and they're great leaders. Yeah. Military people have a tendency to to do exceptionally well, and we found a lot of people that have retired from the military that have gotten into this business. Um,
0: I'm just going to throw this up as a toss-up, and you know, whoever grabs it, grabs it. Would you say the cleaning and restoration business uh, is hazardous work?
2: I think it can be. I, I think uh, certainly there's things that we can do with with protective equipment to to lessen that. Certainly, you know, Joe's very familiar with uh, with the mold remediation business. Um, the rest of us, I think, are very familiar with the fire restoration business. And, and you know, there there can be some challenges with with all those. And just going into buildings many of which may not have been well maintained or may have been older. There could be things in that environment that might not be great for people's health, especially when you're beginning to maybe doing demolition or, or sanding, things like that.
0: As a follow-up question, could you talk a little bit about the types of personal protective equipment that might be utilized?
3: Yeah, I think, Cliff, uh, respirators, goggles, hard hats, uh, gloves, uh, we want to protect our skin. You know, people, people can get things into their bloodstream through their eyes, through their nose, through their mouth, even through their ears, believe it or not, and they can also, through their skin, um, uh, anything that you put on your skin is also going to go into your bloodstream. So I think, I think it's important that all of the body parts can be potentially protected given, given the level of concern that we have in the job. Every job is going to be different, whether it be, a, you know, Category 1 water loss or, or, or Category 2 or 3, or whether it be a fire. Uh, we're, our exposure levels
0: are different given the different circumstances. You know, because people that are listening to this show uh, are going to be applying for employment within this industry, what are some things that they would need to know in terms of, you know, using How do they learn how to use personal protective equipment? Um, What's the process for training them how to do it? Um, And I'd like you to comment on inoculations uh, as well. Okay. Well, I I think
2: uh, most people get trained by their employer or their employer has maybe, maybe in some cases subcontracted that part of their training to an outside source. For example, respirators usually are, are fit-tested, and that may be subcontracted by the
0: employer to... Uh, What's to that on? mean, fit-tested?
2: Well, fit-testing means that uh, for, the, for the protective equipment to work properly, it has to conform to your face, and you have to been trained on how to don or doff, uh, OSHA words, I guess, to put on and take off a respirator, because there's a proper way of doing that so that you don't get contaminants into, into your body. And so those are some things. I think the other thing that we, could, we didn't, Gary didn't mention, was use of engineering controls, things like air filtration devices with, with HEPA filtration, and, and perhaps the use of activated carbon to trap uh, gases.
0: Could we go back to inoculations? What sort of inoculations may someone need to have that would be doing this type of work? What I would
3: say that, that you'd probably want to have an inoculation for hepatitis B because especially if you're dealing with water damage, you're dealing with sewage, uh, or what sometimes is referred to as category 3 type water, uh, you'd probably want to have uh, tetanus as well. I'd say that those two inoculations are the primary inoculations. I would recommend that anybody that, that, that would consider being hired would want to have a complete physical and, and let, the, let their family physician know, uh, professional he- healthcare person know that, that uh, they're gonna be doing this type of work and, and are they physically fit and is there anything that they should look out for uh, or, or concern themselves about for, their, for themselves?
2: And even getting back to the respirator, I think a physical is important because it does to some degree restrict your breathing And because of that, uh, you know, certain people with maybe undiagnosed health conditions could could have problems uh, wearing a respirator.
1: Guys, let me throw out a couple of uh, subjects here. Maybe you could tell the listeners what what type of background or information they may need with respect to these particular topics. Uh, Let's start with... uh, background checks will, will they typically have to go through some kind of background check i would say
3: yes i would say it's important for anybody to for the for a company to know that the people that they're hiring because we're working as bill said earlier we're working in people's homes and people's buildings and people's offices that that these people you, you know don't have a a background uh and that they that they are able to perform and in the risk there's no risk to to the company nor themselves and in or the insureds or property owners uh, in terms of people entering because they're opening their doors up to, to, to a lot of people walking in and, and you know doing service inside with a lot of valuable contents or, or structure that they have.
0: I've got a couple that I like to add What about citizenship?
2: Well, I think most people, uh, most employers are going to have you prove that you are an American citizen or at least a, a legal uh, person uh, in this country, that's capable of working uh, in an environment. So uh, th- that's a federal regulation that
0: I'm sure most of uh, most contractors would follow. Um, what about uh, something like a DUI? Will they check to see if I have a driver's license?
2: Well, I think if you're If you're going to be driving someone's vehicle, I think they will be interested in knowing whether you've had some problems with the law in any form. So, yeah, DUIs, uh, most contractors' insurance programs actually require the company to uh, check or the insurance company will check the driving records of their employees.
1: So they'll need to have a driver's license, usually. I mean, I guess there are times when they may ride with someone else is that...
2: That's true, and and again, in certain parts of the country, uh, for example, in New York City, they may not be using a lot of company vehicles.
1: There you go. So there's, it's not necessarily something that would stop them altogether, but it's a a positive thing. It would be a positive if you had it. I think that that could also lend itself to
3: credibility of the individual uh, in terms of are they going to be dependable, are they going to be there? on time are, are, are they going to be able to stay till the end without having to wait for a ride uh, you know th- those are things that you know in this business, I think owners companies want to know that that person's going to show up at when they when they're supposed to show up and leave when they're supposed to leave or or stay later because we're in the emergency services business. 24/7 when the call comes in, we have to respond
1: or we might lose a job. What about drug testing, guys? Will they typically have to go through some kind of drug testing, or is that on a case-by-case basis?
2: I think more and more uh, companies are, are looking for drug testing. Again, I think it's an indication of reliability. And again, we're, we're giving people access to, to buildings and possessions, and, and people with uh, drug history sometimes represent a risk.
0: Okay. And I, well, I would think certain financial situations could present risks as well. So they may do some sort of financial check as is, is, is well, potentially.
1: You know, that's a good point, Cliff. I, You know, I used to run a department of people that do environmental testing, essentially, and we had a big project at one of the power labs up here where they had DOE and Department of Defense, Department of Energy and Department of Defense clearance required. And I thought, you know, my guys will all be fine. They'll all get through no problem. And I had one guy that had a problem because of a bankruptcy. And it it was something that, you know, I was surprised by, but he it took four or five years to get him clearance because of a bankruptcy. So that's another thing that they may look at. Now It's not going to necessarily eliminate you from the type of work, but it certainly helps if you take care of your finances going in. It's
3: interesting, Joe, because some companies today in, in all different industries are looking at um, somebody's credit reports, right. and if they don't have a good credit history, uh, they're 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 looking at it. Is this is this person the type of person that we want to have work for us? And you know, their answer might be yes, and their answer might be no. But they but they it gives them more information as to the credibility of an individual.
1: What else is, You know another interesting thing, and Valerie here and I, we were uh, playing around not long ago looking at uh, Facebook, you know, social networking, mm. and it's, it's amazing what you can find on somebody's Facebook page if you get access to it, uh, and so that's another thing I think people should be cautious about, you know, what do you put out on the Internet, what do you tell people, what do your friends say to you on the Internet, and is that open to the public? I thought all of my pages were private, but... No, you have to go in and individually mark each of those pages privately and uh, it was interesting to me to, to, to look at that and I don't think I have too much to hide but you know uh, friends of mine might put up things I'd rather not have professionals I work with on a regular basis see
3: And Joe, when people when people are looking at these at the social media sites and they're talking to somebody how what somebody else does and who you associate with, can be a reflection sometimes, and and some people can misunderstand or or or, or not. Yep.
0: Okay. You know, as a new hire, um, can you tell me a little bit about where I might, you know, like if I'm hired, uh, who's going to do like my initial training, and then when what I what would I learn from someone like you guys, and at what point do you think uh, I'm going to meet? a trainer in the classroom? Well,
2: that's, uh, we see people in, in training courses that have been hired last week, and we see people who have been in the business for 10 years and have never gotten any formalized classroom training. So that's a, that's a pretty varied subject. Uh, typically, I don't think most contractors will hire someone and send them immediately to uh, our schools, and, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think uh, a lot of people find out relatively quickly that this type of work is not something they want to do, and so within a, you know, a week or two weeks sometimes uh, they may uh, choose another line of work or search for one. Um, is that
3: and, and I would agree with you, Bill. Uh, in, in addition to that, I've actually had people looking at getting into this industry that have gone through the class to see uh if if this business if this type of work was for them and i've had people after one or two days say you know i really appreciate the money i spent here because i realize now that this isn't the kind of work that i that i truly want to do and i've had other people say you know what this is just what i'm looking for so you get it both ways i i've seen people do it from day 1 as you said and i've seen people do it down the road. I think most companies, or a lot of companies, like to get some get the people out in the field a little bit, get them feeling what they're going to be doing a little bit, and, and once they realize that that person is serious about staying with them, then sending them through some professional training like you and I teach.
2: Well, and I, I think our, our training is an investment, and certainly um, businesses like to have a return on their investment, and if someone's going to leave within a a week or a month, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for them to make the investment in time and, and talents and money to, to go ahead and have that training performed.
3: I, I think that brings up another point, Cliff and Joe, uh, that Bill mentioned, and, and that is when a company brings on a, a new hire, that new hire is an investment in themselves. And, and I think, Cliff, you and I have talked in the past that, that it's not just a thousand or five hundred or, or, or two thousand dollars. They could invest thirty to fifty thousand dollars over a three to month, three to six month period, in in training that person, and before that person really has the ability to give back or 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 or, or show that company a benefit. So I think that I think that that's something that each new hire has to look at. That. Hey, this company is willing to invest in me.
0: You know, I think I'd like to build on what you've talked about, Gary and Bill. Can you comment a little bit about what the student's going to encounter when he would go to your classes? Like, how many days would they be? You know, what time do you normally start? What do they need to do at night? Well, first of all, they an exam or whatever. First First of all, they didn't
1: encounter great instructors. (laughs) At least when Gary's teaching, so that's that's (laughs) important. All right, great. Let's, uh, guys. It's uh, halftime. Let's do our halftime segment, and we'll bring Doctor Wow in. Say hello to him, and take it from there. <laughs> Our association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com.
0: The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org.
1: And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com.
0: Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com.
1: And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com.
0: John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com.
1: and of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine. Your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and, and oh, C- CMM Online. <laughs> of IQ Radio when you inquire about
0: their products and services.
1: All right, we're back. Let's see if we've got our technical director, Dr. Dietrich. Wow. There we go. Hello, Dieter. Do We have I'm you online. All right, Dieter, I we can't tell. Can you? Did you hear that that uh, buzzing sound that came through our headphones, or was that not on the radio? No, I didn't hear any of that. Wow. Okay. Go we all, we needed um, hearing protection here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> our heads were about ready to blow up. I mean.
4: It, it, uh, I'm on a speakerphone, and the speakerphone sounds good. There's no question about that.
1: Okay. We'll, we'll edit out whatever. The
0: scary thing is I just saw Val get gray hair. I <laughs> <I thought> so. <laughs> no, just kidding. Did any
1: comments on the first half? I mean, I, I know you've been pretty much a sole practitioner for years, but you've also worked in big companies. Anything you'd like to add with respect to just employees in general? I think
4: there were a couple of uh, uh, excellent points that one has to take into consideration. And the first thing is, if you have a house with a water damage or a fire damage, this is not a nice, clean a place where you can eat off the floor or something like it's a disaster area and you gotta be aware of that and I think as far as occupational health or industrial hygiene whatever you wanna call it is concerned it is of a concern to me now we will never ever find that thermal decombustion products from whatever from from wood to wool to nylon to whatever, yeah, plastics is going to be good for you. Now, the fortunate thing is, after a fire damage, you, yeah, the fire is out, but it may be still smoldering over there, and I think you got to be aware of that. Um, and the other thing is, it's it's a point of getting your new employee to know and I would tell everybody particularly in Pennsylvania I do not know the rules and regulations in all the other states but certainly in Pennsylvania if you hire somebody and he has what, a disability whether it is asthma or a lung problem from smoking or, what, or, or uh, previous exposures if you hire the guy and he says, hey, I got that disease, whatever the disease may be, while I was working over here, you are stuck with him. Hmm. And that, to me, is not fair. I'm not saying that I want to screw anybody, but I want to have it done fairly. So, therefore, if I were to, if I had a company and it doesn't, you know, I worked for the Bayer Chemical Corporation, of course, we had Uh, physicals, and we knew what the people were there and what their breathing uh, performance was, and, 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 and. But we got to keep, we got to keep that in mind. If somebody comes who has already disease, he doesn't tell you, and a half a year later said, (laughs) I got that over here, you're stuck with him. Uh, whether this is right or wrong, that is not my business to do. That there is a judge who can make a decision, but those are the rules and regs in Pennsylvania. Uh, what is the other thing? Um, <coughs> we brought up Facebook. Now, why would anybody? <laughs> why would anybody go on Facebook? People ask it. Either you are not on Facebook. I said am I'm going to give it to the world how old I am how tall I am what my hobbies are what my what 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 flavor of beer I drink or wine
1: or what I'm eating that's nobody's business. <laughs> you don't drink beer do you Dieter? But uh, you, yeah, <laughs> you know the the,
0: the no. funny the funny thing Dieter is, is is I don't do the Facebook thing and you don't do the Facebook thing but we have both done things when we were young and stupid and I think what happens is this Facebook is the thing that young and stupid kids <laughs> do now you know
4: well I remember I got married when I was young and foolish but
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there are a couple of us have been there done that right
4: yeah anyway congratulations to Andy again I will be seeing him in two weeks okay. and I don't give him the answers Mainly because I don't know the, the question.
0: Well, you don't know the question. Uh, right, and I understand, you're, you're remote. And,
4: right. It was mentioned, I mean, from the last trivia question. If anybody, if anybody is interested in the history of occupational health slash industrial hygiene, go and buy yourself a paperback. It's called, by. it's written by Alice Hamilton, MD and it's called Exploring the Dangerous Trades. I gave my copy to Joe, and I told him, give it to anybody else who is interested. I don't need it back. I have another copy here anyway.
1: Excellent point, dear. It's
4: absolutely and fascinating what that woman did.
1: Tremendous, tremendous book. And anybody I, who's uh, thinking about getting into this industry, I would highly recommend <coughs> that you get a copy was of it. Required read it
4: required reading when I went to school. Well, you bring and up a good point, dude. I did read it, and I was fascinated with this woman. Unfortunately, I never ever met her. She lived <coughs> to the tender age of a hundred and one, I think, after exploring the dangerous trade. Amazing. Now, and, you, well, uh, but I I met two people who had met her, Henry Smith, and. Uh, Oh my God! Uh, 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 the father of industrial hygiene over here. Uh, uh, I have a book
1: of this right over here. Um, there it is. Dieter, you bring up a great point, though, that people, you know, who are listening, we're, we're doing this program for new employees. You can learn a whole lot about this industry and about biology and microbiology and. PPE and uh, engineering controls from on the internet nowadays, and it's so much easier than it's ever been and I really you know encourage people to go out and, and explore these things. you know don't just explore you know, the dangerous trades.
4: You know Joe, I couldn't agree with you more. You know I'm a teacher and I know where I am today. I don't know exactly where uh, to go tomorrow if I were a young employee yeah, in a company. But I would like to know where I'm coming from. And if you don't know the history, and the, you, you become a better person if you realize what other people had to achieve to become famous and publish books and papers and so on. I find it fascinating. Uh, I, I, I just re-bought, I gave it to a friend of mine and I bought a new copy of it. It's called God's Grace and Scholars. It's the history of archaeology, which interests me very much. But, yeah, if you are in this business, I think it behooves you to know where you are coming from and where the people, like our guests today, where did they learn it? Did they make mistakes? Of course they made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. And a mistake is good if you learn from it. If you repeat the mistake, you're stupid. <laughs>
1: well, you, you bring could, up a good point, Dieter. I think it will give them a lot more respect, too, for the people that have hired them. I mean, you've got some would, really fascinating I, people that own these companies, people with very I, little... I agree with you 100% there, Joe. Yes. Know, yep. I mean, you've got some really fascinating people. Gary, you want to add something? Yes, and, and
3: that brings up a very interesting point. I had a gentleman in Texas uh, that, that came through my class in Texas, and he he went through the fire class. He went through the water class. He then went to uh, the insurance adjusters class uh, to learn to learn about uh, adjusting. He then went to uh, estimating class uh, through Xactimate to learn the Xactimate before he even went to companies. And then he was going to offer his service to companies because because he he was he was basically laid off as a manager of a, of, of a shipping and warehousing company. Mm-hmm. And, and so he went and he took all, and he invested himself into the classes, yeah. went and took all these classes. That's something that people should consider is, is that, you know, you become a value. How much of a value, you want me to hire you, but what do you have to offer to me to benefit my company, you're a new person. How can you help my company from the get-go?
1: You know, some of these guys are self- and gals are self-made people. They have worked their way up from the bottom. They are now company owners. They own maybe 10 or 12 different sometimes uh, franchise locations, or they've got a multi-million dollar company, and they have a lot to teach you, a lot to teach you. So don't just let them ask you questions. You should... Probably think about asking them how they got where they are at. And you'll learn a lot from these people.
3: And that's a very interesting point, uh, Joe, because in the 24, 26 years that I've been teaching, I think I've learned more from the students than I than I have imparted to the students in many cases. Yep. It's, it's a fascinating
1: group of people you're getting involved I, I just, with. Here.
4: I think an excellent, excellent point. And Joe and I go that every class we teach, like a three-day course, on day one, everybody is quiet, and I said, hey, I'm in the business, I can't tell the competition what I'm doing. And, you know, after the first day, all of a sudden, you know, the the guys in class, they notice what the other guy knows and what his questions are, and all of a sudden, they're starting to talk to each other. (laughs) In fact, Joe and I, I remember it uh, well, it was in New York. All of a sudden, three guys were sitting on one table and I said, I have been looking for people like this for the last two years, and here they are. They formed the company. After
1: (laughs) Yeah, They have to learn people new to this business.
4: uh, This is is the, the beauty, and I said it a thousand times. I learned Every time when I talk to and listen to somebody. That's right. And Every time. Keep your eyes open. And like I said, they are not there to screw you. And once you know that, that uh, you have a, a professional discussion, all of a sudden it's clicking. I said, my God, I never thought of that. He told me he's using that equipment. I never knew about it. And I'm going to take a look at that. I, uh, uh, Joe and I have stories for the next three hours of exactly what I'm talking about. Well,
1: people have to learn to ask questions and to, to be interested. I mean, I, I, sometimes it doesn't naturally happen. You don't naturally have an interest in what that employer's background was and how he got to where he is. But if you think I, about it, they will be the person you can learn the most from, Cliff.
0: Okay, what I'm going to do is take control. Go for at, it. It, no, no, at this particular point because it's me, the retired instructor. <laughs> okay, and then I have four other instructors that are here. So you're all active, you're all teaching. And what I want this, what I want the people listening to know about, is I want to talk a little bit about these class days. You know, what happens when someone comes to this class? Is it, is it all classroom? Is it all hands-on? Is, is it a blend? How many hours? Is, is there homework? Is there a test? Do they study individually? Do they, you know, how do they get special attention? Uh, you know, let, let's just go through all these right. things because I think they want to know. Start with Gary.
3: What, what, what we generally do, what I generally do in, in every class is I start out by having each person introduce themselves and go around the room. Uh, and their background and what they do and what they came for and, and what, what is their objective other than just getting a certification what is their objective in coming to this class and that gives me a good idea of gearing some of the information to the level of the person the student that's going to be in the class because typically in classes we could have everybody from from a novice brand new never been in the business uh, to a person that's been doing this for a year, to a person that's been doing this for five years, to a person that may be running a company may have been doing this for thirty five years. And so you know, the instructor has to has to satisfy all of these people in this class to some extent to make them feel like they got something of value out of the class. One of the th- the next thing that I would do, is is maybe even have the people introduce themselves to each other so that they get a they get a familiarity with each other at that point in time then we go over the you know the what we're going to curriculum and what we're going to do uh we're going to take breaks we're going to have one or two breaks in the morning we're going to have a lunch break usually provided by the class uh most of the time we're going to have one or two breaks in the afternoon typically cliff as you asked before, we would start usually around between 8 and 8.30 in the morning, and we would finish somewhere between 4.15 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon, uh, depending upon whether it's a one-day, a two-day, or three days of classes, depending upon the curriculum that's that's in that class. Uh, in the course of that class, we would I would go over the theory, theory behind whether it's water damage or whether it's fire damage. What's the theory? What's the history? Uh, where did it come from, uh, what types, what are the different types of smoke if it's smoke, what are the different types of water if it's water. They're going to learn those things. They're, they're going to learn the safety issues of, of what they have to protect themselves from. Uh, they're going to learn uh, in terms of the odors and how do we take care of the odors and what are, some, what are the environmental controls, as Bill talked about earlier, that we can use in order to in order to protect. Then we would go into uh, deodorization. We would go into structural cleaning. Then we would go into contents cleaning. In, in fire and in water damage, we would go into the processes of of extraction, the actual extraction processes, the different types of water that you have, and 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 take them all the way through to the end, to
0: where to where they're setting up equipment and they're doing testing. When you're talking about all these things, Gary, how do they learn this? I mean, are you lecturing them? Are you showing them slides? Are you showing them videos? I mean, I mean uh, how, how, how is this accomplished?
3: Combination of slides, uh, videos, manual in front of them that they take home with them, that they take notes in. Uh, with each chapter, we go through a review section at the end of each chapter where they take and they, and they go through. And they either from memory or looking it up. They find the answers to the review questions, and then we go over them so that it's a combination of
0: learning. Too. Bill, what do you do if they have special needs?
2: Well, that's, a, that's something that's, uh, that happens on a fairly regular basis, and, and I'm pleased to say that all the instructors that, that I work with and all the instructors that I've ever taken a class from, and I've taken a few, uh, they've all been made time either at the end of the day or even in the evening and you know I've, I've met with people at, at hotels and restaurants after class if necessary because there are people with learning disabilities or people with language issues and if you if the student makes the instructor aware of, of those situations um, accommodations can normally be made to to try to work with that person more intensively
0: Joe, um, what's, what are the differences in in testing and how these people are tested? In, in the courses that you and Dieter do that have this third party accreditation, how this is testing accomplished?
1: Uh, it depends on the course. There are courses where we give the exam at the end of the course. There are courses where we just have quizzes as a part of the course and there are also some certification courses where you go to an independent third-party testing facility where we're not allowed to give the exam and the, it varies depending on what type of training you're taking and what type of certification you may wish to if you so desire to uh to get when you finish the project
0: well if i'm in any of your classes what am i doing at night am i out going partying and going to strip
1: clubs, or, you know, what am I doing at night? Hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It depends. (laughs) Um, It depends on on the person. Now, we've got, like Gary was saying, we get people that are brand new up to people that have been in the business 25, 30 years, and, and those guys oftentimes will be out having a little bit of fun. But then again, you'll find they're the ones that will actually go back and read and review the course manual. And I think you bring up a great point in that, you get a course manual, you don't get a chance to read that course manual while you're sitting there taking the class. And, and the whole idea of the course manual is it, it, it's a guide for the class, but it's also something you can go back to in the evening or later and read in more detail about what the instructor was discussing. That you know, day. would you
0: say that they need to do 15 minutes homework a night or four hours or, or what do you think it is?
2: Some of that depends upon the course and certainly the person, but, you know, I would think probably one to two hours in the evening would be kind of a good rule of thumb. Joe, would you agree? i agree.
3: I've had some people take two to three hours in the evening, depending upon
1: the individuals. And how much work they're trying to catch up on that they missed during that day as well, which is another problem, unfortunately. But I want to bring up another point. Bill mentioned uh, staying after class and, you know, maybe going to to see the instructor at uh, lunchtime. Get there early, too. Um, get there early. A lot of guys like Bill will be there an hour before the class starts, and that's an opportunity with for you to, you know, just get to know him a little bit better, ask a few questions from the day before, Etc. And also, you don't disrupt the class by coming in late. That's a bad. That's always a bad start to the class. And I, I,
0: I think you, I think you want to get off to a good start. I think one of the things that you want to do is if you have a learning disability, if you need special attention, the sooner the instructor knows, the better. Preferably before he even starts, because he can make certain accommodations. Uh, To assist you from the very beginning, it's much easier to get off to a good start than it is to uh, play catch-up. Yeah, if
2: you're if you're registering for a class and you know that you have a problem or you're concerned about something in particular, it's good to let the people know who take the registration.
0: You know, I know all you guys take training seriously. I mean, is any part of the, the the training fun?
3: I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't fun. Okay,
2: I think it's quite honestly. I think the thing that makes, uh, makes it great for an instructor is, is when you see that proverbial light bulb go off over someone's head and they get a concept or they, they look at something differently than they had before the class, and I think that's what keeps it fresh for me.
3: A few months ago, I had an, I had an insurance. It, it was a re-inspector for an insurance company up in Canada in my class, and he had already taken some online courses that his company provides that we actually have something to do with. And, and he came up to me afterwards and he said, Gary, he said, I am, I am so glad that I came to this. I didn't realize how, 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 much, how many things I did not know that you helped clarify and helped brought to the forefront uh, for me. And it just is going to make me better what I do. And I,
1: I, my favorite part is the hands-on. When you actually get out there and you, you build things, you dry things, you clean things, you do what you can we We don't always get that opportunity. it depends on where you're at and what you're doing, but the more hands on the better and that's when a lot of times you know different people learn different ways, some people need to touch things, some people need to hear things, some people need to read things, some people you know need to see things and um different learners learn different ways, so the more of that you can pull into your class, the better. Dieter, I just wanted to make sure because we're running a little low on time. I wanted to make sure if you had any final comments, we got a chance to say hello we still have data. Oh. No,
4: yeah, I mean, uh, basically repeating what I said before. Uh, you can learn not only from the instructor, but you can learn from the students who are sitting there during discussions by listening to their questions. You may have the same question. You didn't think about it. You said, oh my, I had that question too. And I have absolutely no problem, and Joe knows that, and I know Joe, and he knows me. Uh, if somebody wants to catch me after hours, after the class, yeah, I am there. I couldn't care less. I, uh, in one of the classes we had, I was teaching and showing the guys and girls uh, how to calibrate pumps and equipment. We had, in round numbers, 20 students. Unfortunately, only three stayed over, and those were the ones who really didn't need it. (laughs) Uh, But it is there. You can learn from them. And there, there is more to it than just paying your $500 or whatever it is and sit there, keep your eyes and ears open. And yes, unfortunately, I know a couple of guys uh, they don't get out as often as Joe and I do, and they get out once every two years. And I said, my God, I'm on an expense report, right uh, on an expense account right now. Tonight, my buddy and I are going to get drunk. And unfortunately, they come drunk in the next morning into the class. Needless to say, they sit in the last row and start snoring. Uh, that's obviously not the idea. But there is nothing you can do about that. It happened. It happened many times, and Joe knows it, and I know it. I'm sure you guys know it also. It's unfortunate. Um, uh, They're wasting their time and money rather than saying, hey, let's try to get something. Let's keep our eyes and ears open, and we can pick up this and that and that and the other. Even talking about equipment, some guys said, hey, I didn't even know that existed. I've never seen that. Oh, said we are using that for years. Yeah, the ABC company is better than the XYZ company. And uh, so uh, uh, that that is part of the learning process when you go to a course, and hopefully it is a two- or three-day course, then the ice is broken and you're opening up and you see that other people know a lot about your field also and you can discuss it. I certainly... I that you can never ever duplicate on the computer
1: that's right that's, dude. Impossible. that's right now another thing on the hands-on guys and girls that go to these classes jump in there and get dirty don't sit in the background make your mistakes in the class not in the field all right don't be afraid to look foolish or not be able to rip a piece of tape or you know put don't know how to plug in it or change a filter or whatever get in there and make those mistakes in the classroom and learn from it. Take advantage of that opportunity. You'll only get it once probably, so take advantage.
0: I think it's a wonderful tip, and what I was going to do is go to Bill and Gary and Dieter as well. Can each of you, uh, you know, jump in and and give a tip uh, to students? Uh, I'll I'll give mine now. Uh, I think get involved with other students uh, and and network with them. Get their names, get their addresses, get their phone numbers. You know, I'm an old guy. I'll be uh, 62 this year, and um, I can tell you that I have lifelong friends that I met in, in training courses uh, 40 years ago in this business that are still friends, still confidants, still business associates, and uh, t- you know, keep in touch with other people. What can you suggest? You Gary? can
3: network with those people continuously even after the class. Uh, I would go with, uh, along with Joe and, and I would get yourself as much active in the class in terms of in terms of any hands on that's being done or any videos that's being done or ask questions don't be afraid to ask questions the instructor doesn't know what you don't know unless 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 you bring it out and say hey can you slow down can you can you say this in another way i'm not understanding this it doesn't make sense to me what do you mean by this because you know Sometimes sometimes we think that we're, that we're getting across to people and, and the person's just blown away. They, they don't understand you know, how we're, how we're bringing it across or what it means or how it's interpreted because they've never been out in the field. They've never done it.
0: Yeah. Bill, what do you think, a tip for students? I
2: think come prepared, uh, get a good night's rest, try to concentrate as much as possible while you're in the classroom. I think that'll help you and the instructor. Um, you know, business concerns, family concerns are always there, but many times we can't address those while we're away from home anyway, so try to, try to be focused, be conscientious, and get your money's worth. Be good consumers. Uh, we're there presenting information, and as Gary said, if you're not getting it in the, in the format that, that we presented in, ask questions and ask to be presented another way.
1: Yeah,
0: it's like drinking from a fire. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. he brings
1: up a great point. You know, when you come to a class, you're going to be sitting for a long time, and most of you, a lot of you, don't do that on a regular basis. So you have to come in in the right frame of mind, and be prepared to stay alert and pay attention for an eight-hour day of instruction. Maybe there's hands-on included in that, but. It can really throw people when they come in and they have to sit down and listen to a classroom discussion for a six or eight hour day. Yeah. I'd be careful
3: not to overeat, I'd be careful to try and keep my mind clear yeah. so that and I, I tell people all the time, sit close to the front. Sit where you, yeah. s- don't sit with your with your best buddy, sit with somebody else so that so that you can be focused on what you're doing there for the class. Abs-
4: absolutely, yes. And uh, you said it before, Yeah, you know, I am still, or uh, Cliff said it, I'm still good friends with many of my students, and Joe knows them. What just comes to mind right now is Nelson. I just talked to him yesterday. <laughs> and, and Lee, Lee sent me a Christmas card. Those are students of mine. And they call me and said, I have a question about carbon monoxide. Do you have five minutes? I said, yeah, of course there is no charge. I gladly talked to them. They said, I know you know that. I think I'm stuck. I just, I think I know what I'm doing, but I need a second opinion. They said, that's fine. What is it? And uh, we solved the problem on carbon monoxide yesterday. So, um, I have no problem with this. And I mean, I know Joe also gets questions continuously from former students. They said, Joe... Yeah, you mentioned that in that company or that in that uh, instrument and that and that, or Dieter had this, or Dieter had that. And uh, we take care of it. I like doing it. I li- I'm not doing that for the money. I'm doing it because I like teaching. I like to interact with uh, students. And Joe knows that, and Cliff knows that. Yeah, I don't need to do these classes to make a living. I do it because I'm having fun and I like to interact in a life situation with students I don't yeah I like the computer and I don't like the computer there's a lot that this uh, thing is good for but yeah you give me a blackboard a piece of chalk and I am good and I can explain things very very nicely I have been doing it for 30 or 40 years yeah 40 years so again that is one of those things you get when you don't take an online course. I still maintain life is better than, yeah, the, the, any any other way.
1: Well, Dieter, thanks again, as always, for joining us. Uh, anybody else have any last comments? Because we're running over, guys i got to get to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I do have to work for a living, unfortunately. <laughs> I, well, I know you work for a living, Dieter, but I still have to keep doing training here and uh, still pay the bills, but I do love it. Hey, I want to thank uh, today's guest, Bill Wagon, Gary Leutman, of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick at the controls, Val Bender, another Interesting week here at the, in the studio. I don't know if my ears are going to recover or not, but uh, apparently they didn't hear a thing, so it all went well. Uh, hey, everybody, next week we've got Dave Berg coming on. David Berg uh, is going to come on and talk to us a little bit. He's a professional engineer, and he's going to talk, come in and talk to us a little bit about indoor air quality and building science issues. Looking forward to a great show next week. And, of course, most importantly, thanks to all of you for joining us again this week. And every week... Please come back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio.